It's Monday, and that means it's time to open up the Locked On Orioles mailbag. You've got questions, I've got answers. We'll talk about things like Mike Elias' contract, rule changes going into 2023, the All-Star Game potentially returning to Oriole Park, and much, much more coming up on this Mailbag Monday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, November 28th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, it is a Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. We've got nine listener questions, all from you, to answer here on today's pod, and I'm going to get to all of them here on the episode. We got plenty of different topics to look into, potential Orioles signings, potential Orioles trades coming up this offseason, taking a look at what it would take maybe for the Orioles to sell the team, maybe this offseason, maybe next offseason, whenever it would be. You know, what number will there be for the Angelos? We'll talk about some expectations for Grayson Rodriguez heading into next year, some rule changes, how the Orioles can help their lineup in an on-base capacity, and much, much more. It's all coming up on a Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. And again, we've got Mailbag Mondays throughout the offseason here on the pod. So if you'd like to send in a question to get answered on a future Mailbag Monday episode, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Leave a comment in the comment section here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. You can put a comment and put a review in the iTunes rating and review section. Drop your question there, we'll answer it, or tweet at Locked On Orioles, DM the account as well. The DMs are open for your mailbag questions. And of course, as the offseason rolls on, we'll still be five days a week for a little while. Then about mid-December, we'll switch to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday pod, still talking all things Orioles in the offseason and still having mailbag Mondays as well. But let's jump right into today's Mailbag Monday episode. Again, nine questions all coming from you, the listeners. And if you did submit a question and it's not going to be answered today, that's okay. We will get to it on our next Mailbag Monday episode. But our first question comes from Mark via email, who asks, what are the odds of the Orioles keeping all their hitting prospects and only signing starting pitchers and not hitters this offseason? Now, an interesting question by Mark, because obviously when you look at the O system, Across the board, a top five system in baseball, and some would argue the number one minor league system in Major League Baseball, it is stacked with hitting prospects. Only two of its top 10 prospects, D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, are pitchers, and both of those guys should be major contributors in the big leagues this year. There could be a point, kind of early this season, where all of the Orioles' top 10 prospects are hitters. It'll kind of depend on you know, where Drew Rahm and Seth Johnson slot in. But there's a chance at some point it's 10 and it's all hitters. It's a very hitter-heavy system. We know that. And there's a lot of good ones. So I understand, you know, all right, let's go by pitching. Let's call up all these hitters. And, you know, we want all these guys to look like Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson have looked. But that's not going to be the case. So to answer Mark's question, I don't think the chances are high that the Orioles would just go get pitching in free agency, and then would hold on to their hitters and promote them, and that would be the team next year. Because when you look at what happened in 2022, 
The Orioles won 83 games because of their pitching, because starters pitched better and the bullpen was incredible. The Oriole offense, all things considered, was at best maybe equal, maybe a touch better than their offensive output when, when they won 52 games in 2021. The offense was the issue of why this team didn't take a further step and get into the postseason this year. So it needs to be upgraded. And I get that, you know, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, Colton Kowser, just to start, could all be ready and should all be ready for the big leagues at some point this year. Plus, you know, more playing time for guys like Taron Vavra, Kyle Stowers, Gunnar Henderson, and obviously a full season of Adley Rutschman. All that stuff sounds great. But, and you even add in Joey Ortiz, he could be there as well at some point this year. But, that doesn't just mean all those guys are going to come up and be great. And when you had struggles offensively, you want to bring in proven veterans. Now, they're going to sign at least one starting pitcher, and potentially two. So they definitely will go out and buy starting pitching before next year. But I just think they're really going to sign a left-handed bat. I think they need a left-handed power bat in this lineup somewhere. I think that's what they were really, really lacking last season. And really the only option of a left-handed bat that's coming up right now is Colton Kowser. He's not exactly a huge power bat. He's going to be a great hitter, but he's not going to be ready to go and be on the opening day roster. He didn't have much time in AAA. He's going to need more AAA at-bats to start the season before he's major league ready. And the Orioles want to be go time by opening day. They're going to need a left-handed bat. I thought Jock Peterson was the best answer. He went back to San Francisco. There's still plenty of guys out there that we've talked about and will talk about on this episode, but between that and the fact that, you know, long-term payroll is still a question for the Orioles. We still don't know exactly how much they're going to spend moving forward, even though Michael I is calling it liftoff and they're going to expand payroll. You still don't know how much that's going to be. So they're going to need to trade from their strengths in the system to add to the team if the payroll is not going to, you know, jump over $150 million or so, which it may not for a couple of years. It may not ever. We just don't know. But you're going to have to trade from your depth. And your depth is the hitters. So to go get major league talent, you're going to have to trade the Connor Norbys, the Jordan Westbergs of the world, the Joey Ortizes to go get that top talent. That's why I just think this scenario, Mark, is just not super plausible. And plus, you know, this team's going to want to add at the trade deadline. You hope this team is in a spot in July to add because they're in the playoff race. Well, you can't really sign guys at that point. So you're going to have to trade your prospects at the deadline and the Orioles right now are stacked with hitters, which means it's going to have to be hitters that would be dealt at the deadline to add talent as well. Yeah, maybe it could happen this offseason where they just sign pitchers and call up all the hitters. I hope they don't. But moving forward beyond this offseason, I don't think there's any chance they really stick to that kind of blueprint. Second question of the day comes from Daniel. This one also via email. Again, you can send us your mailbag questions at LockedOnOrioles.com at gmail.com. Daniel asks, what's the status of Mike Elias's contract? And should we be worried that a bigger team will come in and hire him away from the Orioles? This is actually a pretty good question. Not something that's talked about a lot, but we do not know the details of Mike Elias's contract. All we really know is the Orioles hired him back in November of 2018 to kind of take over and revamp this entire baseball operation system for the Orioles. And the answer I'll give besides I don't know what his contract is, is I can pretty much assure you that he has more than one year left on his deal. Like, there's pretty much no chance that his deal expires after 2023. He's not operating right now on a one-year contract. So I would say he's on a deal right now that probably at least lasts through 2024, and I would think it's probably beyond that at this point. 
Because when the Angelos family brought him in in November of 2018, it was to revamp how the Orioles were run. And some of it was to, you know, put a little bit of a blanket over them being able to cut payroll, but also have this plan that he helped execute in Houston and try to execute a similar plan in Baltimore to get the O's back to a championship contender. And if they're bought into that, that plan was going to take some time. As we've seen, it's been a lot of losing. Now the Orioles are peaking upward, had a winning season, now looking to be a playoff team in 2023, but still probably not going to be a World Series team, I wouldn't think, in 2023. So there's still some up and up and up to go in this plan, and they want Michael Elias to be around for that. So although we don't know the details of Michael Elias' contract, I would say he probably has some incredible job security. And that's also because... You know, they have full buy-in on Michael Elias. The Angelos are preoccupied fighting each other in all of these lawsuits going on. And they're letting him run the show. Now, they're still going to set the payroll, and we still have to see what that's going to be. But other than that, Elias is in charge to make a lot of these decisions right now. And he's not going to leave because what other place is going to give him this much job security and this much autonomy over what happens Because they bought into his plan. You know, he probably came in and said, here's my 10-year plan to fix the Orioles. The Angelos has said, perfect, come on in. So they're letting him go with his plan. If he goes somewhere else, there could be a situation like James Click in Houston this year, where he wins the World Series as the GM of the Houston Astros. But because there's so much infighting between him and the owner, Jim Crane, who just is a wannabe billionaire GM, who doesn't really know anything but wants to run the team, butting heads with Click and ends up not renewing his contract after he built a World Series winning team, Elias doesn't want to get into a situation like that. He's kind of in a perfect situation for himself. There's no pressure because he was expected to come in and lose. He's got an ownership group that's bought into his plan, and he's in control. He's kind of in the perfect spot, and now he's got a team that's coming off a winning record and has some more positive feedback into it from the city of Baltimore. Mike Elias, I don't know what the contract is, but I'm pretty sure he has top five job security of all GMs in Major League Baseball. I mean, there's probably only one man who has better job security in the city of Baltimore right now. And for some reason, that seems to be Greg Roman. Third question of the day comes from Ryan via Twitter, who, in kind of a similar vein, asks, what offer would it take for the Angeloses to sell the Orioles right now? And and this is a topic that many are talking about because, A, We're still a little worried about what this payroll is going to look like. It's been cut to shreds the last four years. The Angeloses are all fighting each other. There's all these lawsuits. They're very public right now. It's not a good look for that family and for the Orioles. And it seems like what would help this team traject upwards would be a sale of the team. Now, I think the Angeloses love having the Orioles. I think it would be tough for them to sell. But looking at a number, you just look back at the last couple of sales across Major League Baseball. Now, the Angels have been put up for sale right now. So that number is going to influence what the Orioles' number would be. Now, the Angels, you know, a team kind of in L.A., you know, they have stars in Otani and Trout, maybe makes it a little different. They would probably go for more than what the Orioles would go for, but still. The Mets went for $2.4 billion in 2020 from Steve Cohen. The Orioles probably won't go for that price. The Royals went for $1 billion in 2019. That's more of a, you know, a, a one-to-one comparison to the Orioles. And the Marlins went for $1.3 billion in 2017 when Derek Jeter came in. Those two numbers, Royals and Marlins, probably closer to what the Orioles are worth. And Forbes put out an article earlier this year valuing each Major League Baseball team. The Orioles, they valued at $1.375 billion. They valued them in the 22nd 
most valuable team in Major League Baseball. So I would say if the number $1.5 billion, $1.5 billion came to the Angeloses, I think that could get them to sell right now and just get out of this thing. So if anybody out there has $1.5 billion and wants to spend it on this team and then has more money to spend it on players and get the Orioles back to a winner, please come buy this team from the Angeloses. I'm going to end up not liking you because you're a billionaire, but I'll like you for a little bit if you come in and take this team off the Angeloses' hands. We've got plenty more questions to answer here on today's Mailbag Monday episode. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how some rule changes for next year could affect the Orioles. Talk about why the O's would maybe be going after one of these big-name shortstops in free agency. We'll talk about the All-Star game and if it's ever going to come back to Camden Yards. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis that's fall. Because really, there's so much going on right now in the world of sports, and BetOnline has your lines and odds for every single game out there. Of course, the World Cup's going on. Huge match, USA and Iran tomorrow. U.S. needs to win to get into the knockout stage. It's going to be a big one. All the lines and odds for every World Cup match at BetOnline. Plus, you got college football heading into conference championship weekend to decide who's going to go to the college football playoff. Of course, the NFL every Sunday. You got college basketball. You got the NHL. You got the NBA. So much is happening, and you can get all the action at Bet Online. Plus, if you love sports podcasts, and I hope you do if you're listening to this one, you can find those at Bet Online as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. So I am answering your Baltimore Orioles questions here on a Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked on Orioles podcast. And we'll get to our fourth question of the day. Comes from Noodles on YouTube who asks, how will the rule changes for next year impact who the Orioles target in terms of trades and free agency this offseason? This is a good question. I've addressed it a little bit on the pod before, but wanted to go into it again. And again, the three big rule changes, if you're not familiar, for the 2023 Major League Baseball season is the bases are going to get a little bit bigger, which means the space in between first and second, second and third, will be slightly less than you know 90 feet. There'll be a couple more inches in there, or a couple less inches, I should say, between each base. Uh, you've got the pitch clock coming in. It'll be about 15 seconds with nobody on. It'll be 20 seconds with runners on base as well. Then you got the shift being banned. So you have to have two players in the infield on each side of the second base bag starting in 2023 as well. And in terms of how this could you know, impact the Orioles, but this really is for every team in Major League Baseball, how it impacts what they do in free agency on the trade market this offseason. I think, number one, guys who steal bases, guys with speed, become even a little more valuable. You know, we saw Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo steal 35 and 34 bases this year, lead the American League. Each of them could, you know, push 40 next year if they get the same playing time because it's going to be slightly easier to steal bases. And also, with the pitch clock, you can time guys up a little more. So that makes it even easier to steal bases. So maybe if the Orioles are looking at one of the four big shortstops, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, or Dansby Swanson, maybe that you know gives another point to Trey Turner because he is an elite base stealer. You know, he is a top two guy in terms of sprint speed in all of Major League Baseball. And maybe that gives him an extra notch because he could steal even more bases going into next year, and he's still got that speed. So that's one way you could look at it. In terms of the shift, the shift is obviously going to help the big pull-happy lefty slugger. So 
couple of the guys on the market, you know, Cody Bellinger, Joey Gallo, maybe Josh Bell when he's hitting from the left side. Those are some, I think Bellinger and Gallo are the big obvious guys who are kind of buy low, you know, prove it contract candidates, not guys that are going to get mega deals, probably going to get, you know, one year, $10 million deals to try and prove that they can still be a star level player in Major League Baseball. But hey, Maybe the Orioles are a little more interested in Bellinger or Gallo or someone like that with the shift ban and those guys getting more base hits into right field. And the pitch clock, I would say, you know, maybe if you're between two free agents and one guy's a little faster on the mound, you look at them. In terms of the free agent pitchers who are out there, Taiwan Walker is the fastest among them. He's in the top 25 in Major League Baseball in terms of fastest times you know, from his windup to the plate at fastest times in between pitches, I should say. So, you know, that's something to look at. He's definitely someone the Orioles are considering. Andrew Haney is up there as well, another free agent pitcher. And then Marco Gonzalez is pretty fast in between pitches. He's not a free agent, but he's come up in a lot of trade talks with the Mariners, I think, looking to deal him somewhere to get offensive help. So those are three guys that I think maybe the Orioles take a little bit of a closer look at just because of those rule changes going into next year. Our fifth question of the mailbag comes from Charles via YouTube, who asks, why would the Orioles go after a big-name free agent shortstop if they already have Gunnar Henderson? And I've got this question in a lot of different forms, you know, maybe insert Jorge Mateo, insert Ramon Arias, insert whomever. Here is how I break it down. If you bring in the free agent shortstop, and even if you say, let's say it's Carlos Correa, you bring in Carlos Correa for this big money, you know, eight-year, 200-plus million dollar deal. You stick him at shortstop. You can stick Gunnar Henderson at third. You can stick Ramon Arias at second. You can have Jorge Mateo be a, a floater, utility, off-the-bench infielder. And you still have all of them in the lineup. Or... You can take Carlos Cray and say, you know what? Let's put you at second base immediately. Or Trey Turner, let's put you at second base immediately. You play Jorge Mateo at short, Gunnar Henderson at third, Ramon Arias, kind of your floater utility infield guy. Or you put your free agent at second base, Correa or Turner. You put Gunnar Henderson at short, you put Ramon Arias at third because he won that gold glove and you have, again, Mateo kind of floating in that position. But in general, you put the free agent probably at shortstop. Gunnar Henderson showed he can play a good third base. You kind of have an opening there, even though Arias won the gold glove. I'm still not convinced by his bat. You put Gunnar Henderson at third. He can play there. And then a couple years down the road, you switch him. Because I think most of these shortstops, probably besides Dansby Swanson, I think Bogarts, Turner, and Correa are all going to either move to second or third base at some point during these contracts. So when they do... You move Gunnar Henderson back to shortstop. You either move the free agent guy to third or second, and you have another infielder, whether it be Joey Ortiz or Jordan Westberg or a trade or a free agent signing or Jackson Holiday or whoever it is down the line, that guy moves to the other position. It's pretty easy. Listen, the Orioles called up Manny Machado. He was a shortstop, but he played third base because the Orioles the year before had traded for J.J. Hardy, who was a veteran all-star shortstop who stuck it short. Machado played third. Now, Hardy you know, stayed in Baltimore for longer, and eventually Machado did move to short, but he became a platinum glove third baseman, and I think Gunnar Henderson can be that too. It's okay to have Henderson play third base. It's okay to move the free agent shortstop to third base or second base if you want Gunnar to play short or Mateo to play short. Either is fine. It's about getting that elite bat into the lineup. The Orioles didn't have that elite bat a lot of the times last season. That's why the offense held them back. They need that bat in there. And if it's shortstop, it's a shortstop. You'll make it work by any of those moves I just mentioned. You're not blocking Gunnar Henderson by making that move. Not 
in any way, shape, or form. Gunnar Henderson's going to be in the lineup every single day next year, no matter who they bring in via free agency. Next question comes from John on YouTube, who asks, do you think the All-Star Game will ever come back to Oriole Park at Camden Yards? And obviously, he kind of prefaced this question by the fact that just at the end of last week, Major League Baseball announced the Texas Rangers were awarded the 2024 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. The All-Star Game is going to Seattle in 2023, and then it'll go to Texas's new indoor ballpark in 2024. That's as far out as they've awarded the All-Star Games so far. Now, Seattle has it next year. They last had it in 2001 in the same stadium when that stadium was fairly new. They're having it there again. The Orioles last had it in 1993. Remember, Camden Yards opened in 92. They had the All-Star Game there in 93. It hasn't been back since. Seattle's now had it twice since then. Texas is, will now have it twice since then, although this time the first time at this new ballpark. So I get it. Generally, when a new ballpark opens the year after or two or three years after, the All-Star Game goes there. So 100% understand why it's going to Texas in 24. But it pretty much feels like it should go to Baltimore in 2025 at this point. 26 teams have had the All-Star Game since the Orioles last hosted in 1993, including a couple of cities getting it twice in that span, including Seattle. Now, I think the upcoming renovations that were announced, you know, about a billion dollars going into that entire Camden Yards spot, upgrading M&T Bank Stadium and Oriole Park and, you know, kind of the space between and around the stadiums as well. That will help. Maybe an ownership change, something we've talked about a little bit on this episode, could help too. Maybe get some new invigoration, some new money into the ballpark, into the franchise, and could help getting the All-Star game back here. But it's still a top five most beautiful ballpark in all of baseball. It is a great place to come watch a game. It was, you know, as I've heard, an amazing event when they hosted, you know, of course, the Home Run Derby and the All-Star game here in 1993, and it needs to come back. Now, you never know what goes into this and how much, you know, classism or racism coming from the Major League Baseball offices of not bringing it to Baltimore for whatever reason that may be, but the Orioles and Camden Yards deserve this game again, and even if it were going on a 30-team rotation, they'd be up once again right about now, and they're still not getting that chance, and it's awful that they're not, but hopefully soon, they're going to get one again at some point. This ballpark is too nice. It's getting some renovations. They're going to get one at some point. I just don't know when it's going to happen. We've got three more questions to answer here on a Mailbag Monday episode to finish out the pod, talk a little bit about what we should expect out of Grayson Rodriguez in his rookie year, who the Orioles could add to the lineup to help with their on-base percentage as a team, and what kind of playoff spot the Orioles should be shooting for in 2023. That is all coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. If you've thought about securing your home with home security, but have been putting it off, you'll want to listen up because right now, Locked On Orioles listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. This is their biggest offer of the year, and you won't want to miss it. And here's why everyone loves it so much. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use fast protection technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get priority police response. And the professional monitoring, it's 24/7 and the service costs less than a dollar a day. And they've got an app too with the top-rated Simply Safe app. You can stay in complete control of your system 
anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust system settings right from your phone. So don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system we at Locked On Podcast recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. This is their biggest discount of the year. So don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So we're finishing things up here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the pod. Three more listener questions to get to. Again, if you want to submit a question for a future Mailbag episode, tweet at us at Locked on Orioles, DM the account, email LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com, or of course, post in the comments right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. But our seventh question of the day comes from Justin via YouTube, who asks, what are realistic expectations for Grayson Rodriguez at the major league level in 2023? And first, I think it is realistic to expect Grayson Rodriguez will pitch in the big leagues with the Orioles for the entirety of the 2023 season. He seemed to be almost ready to go in the bigs when he got injured in June with that lat injury in Norfolk, kept him out most of the rest of the season, came back and threw some innings at the end of the year in AAA, but the Orioles had a chance to call him up, just never did to make his debut right at the end of the major league season, but he's their top pitching prospect. He could be an ace, and he's going to be ready to go by opening day to be in the Orioles rotation. But in terms of expectations for his rookie year, remember, he has not pitched in the big leagues ever. He has never pitched more than 103 innings in any professional season, any season at all, because he was drafted out of high school. He pitched only 75 and two-thirds innings in 2022, mostly because of the injury, but he's coming off an injury. Now he's going to be fully healthy, has a whole offseason. He was already fully healthy at the end of the year. And when you look at the fact that he had thrown, you know, 60-some innings when he got hurt, in June, he was on track to throw 120, 130, maybe more innings in 2022 with a lot of those coming at the major league level. But there is going to be an innings limit on Grayson Rodriguez next year. Just get yourself ready. He's going to have a limit. The Orioles aren't going to send him out there for seven innings every five days and let him roll. There may be somebody piggybacking with him. He may be cut to you know four innings a start at first and then go to five innings and then six innings and then let him loose by you know June of next year. I could see a cap of around, you know, 130 or 140 innings on his 2022 season. And you maybe, you know, skip a start a couple times during the summer just to keep those innings going, especially if the O's are in the race and they want to keep Grayson around for the stretch run and the pennant chase in September and hopefully October. I can see that happening. But what I will say is, you look at what Spencer Strider did this year for the Braves as a rookie. Started the year out of the bullpen, then moved to the rotation. 131 and two-thirds innings, a 2.67 ERA, about 14 Ks per nine, three walks per nine, finishes second behind his teammate Michael Harris in NL Rookie of the Year voting. I feel like that's kind of the peak we could hope for from Grayson Rodriguez. And I think he could do much worse than that and it'd still be considered a very successful rookie season in Baltimore. So expectations, again, some sort of innings limit somewhere around 130, 140. Maybe it could be pushed to 150, but he's going to be limited at the beginning of the season I would be shocked if in his first four or five starts, they let him go any further than five innings into the game because they're going to want to hold back those innings, especially early in the year. He may piggyback with someone else early in the season. He may start every six days instead of every five days for the first couple of months. But even once they let him loose fully, expect some growing pains. Expect some balls getting hit hard. Expect some home runs. Expect a start where he goes two and a third and gives up five runs. It's going to happen in his rookie year. I think long-term, he's going to be an ace of this Orioles staff. He is a great, great pitcher, 
but give him some time. Do not expect him to be throwing seven shutout with 10 Ks the moment he steps on the mound next April. There's going to be some growing pains. He's going to have to work some things out. But by the end of the year, we're going to be saying, I can't wait for Grayson to start opening day 2024. Be ready for him to be the ace of this Orioles staff. But let him kind of figure things out a little bit at the major league level first. Eighth question of the day next up comes from William on Twitter who asks, what free agents could the Orioles bring in to help with team on base percentage? And this is really a good question from William because when you look at the Orioles' offensive struggles in general, they just struggle to score runs a lot of the times this year, but especially they were not a good on-base team. For a team that was you know, the seventh best team in the American League, the first team out of the playoffs, they finished 22nd out of 30 teams in all of baseball in team on base percentage. Their team OBP was just 305 this year. And the thing is, if that went down just a couple of ticks, if they would have been closer to like 300 on the dot, they would have been around 28th in baseball. So, you know, even though they were 22nd, like very close to 25th, 26th, like right there, big jumble of teams that had terrible offensive years. It's something the Orioles really need to work on because you look through the lineup and like Cedric Mullins had his walk rate drop a little bit. Now, Adley Rutschman, an elite on-base guy, but Ryan Mountcastle, not exactly a guy who's going to draw a whole lot of walks. We'll still see from Gunnar Henderson, but Austin Hayes, mostly a free swinger. Anthony Santander, very, very improved in that spot, but Jorge Mateo, a big-time free swinger. Ramon Arias, not exactly you know the god of walks over there when he is in the Oriole lineup, you know, even looking at guys like Kyle Stowers, not exactly the greatest walk, man. Even, even Trey Mancini wasn't drawing walks, you know, every time he was going up there. So in general, you know, you add in Rugnet Odor, who wasn't walking a whole lot. The O's struggled with that last year, but luckily for them, there are free agents out there who are known for their batter's eye and their on-base percentage. And a lot of these guys would be big-time signings for the Orioles that I'm going to mention. I didn't really dive into kind of the small-time, you know, one-year signing guys who are going to help with on-base percentage. But of the big names out there, you got Brandon Nimmo, 367 on-base percentage, known to sprint to first on his walks. That was 21st in all of baseball and OBP last year. You've got Josh Bell out there. He was 28th in OBP at 362. You've got Michael Brantley, professional hitter, 370 on base percentage, 18th in baseball last year. This is among players with 250 plate appearances or more. Xander Bogarts, one of the big shortstops, a 377 on base percentage, 12th in all of baseball. And Jose Abreu is out there as a free agent as well, 378 on base percentage, 11th in all of baseball. So there's some big-time OBP guys. Now, obviously, Aaron Judge is also out there. He was a 425 on base that led baseball. Don't think the O's are getting Aaron Judge, but the options are out there for the Orioles to go spend money and help with the on-base percentage as well for this team in 2023. And then our last question of the day comes from Daniel on Twitter who asks, what is the Orioles' most probable playoff spot in 2023 if they do get to the postseason? And obviously, we all hope the Orioles get into the postseason next year, but I think we can all agree it's probably going to be tough for the O's to win the AL East next year. And as it was this year for most of the season, although the Red Sox definitely fell off at the end and the Orioles did as well, there's going to be five teams in this division who think they can legitimately make the playoffs heading into 2023. All five teams, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Orioles should put themselves in a spot moving forward because of the talent they already have and what they do this offseason to be gunning for a playoff spot legitimately and realistically in 2023. 
It's going to make things really tough to win this division. This division, like it did last year, is going to maul each other. Now, can that mean they get three teams in? Yes, it can. It certainly meant that this year with the Yankees winning the division and the Blue Jays and the Rays getting in in wildcard spots. But I think the O's should be shooting for, obviously, the division, but realistically, they're going to be a wildcard team, one of the three wildcard teams now, if they do get into the postseason. Because you've got all five teams with potential playoff rosters in the AL East. Plus, you've got, you know, Houston certainly going to win the AL West. Then you've got Seattle, who's going to be legit again. And you got the Texas Rangers. You know, they continue to add to that team and spend money. Maybe they can get there this year. You never know about the Angels. I mean, they still have Otani and Trout and Rendon, even though they seem to stink it up. And then in the Central, you know, behind Cleveland, eh, maybe. But I think the Minnesota Twins will be better. And I do think the White Sox will be better as well. So you're going to have some teams to contend with for those wildcard spots. But I would think a wild card is probably what would be most realistic, just because it might be the toughest division of baseball heading into next year. But, hey, you could get four teams out of the AL East in potentially. And if that's what it takes for the O's to get in, that's fine by me as long as they get in the postseason. Because the Phillies showed they were the number six seed. And they came two wins away from the championship. So all you got to do, get into the postseason. And hopefully the O's can do that next year. And hopefully you are enjoying the content here on the podcast. Hopefully if you asked a question, it got answered. If you did and I didn't get to it, I'll get to it on the next Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast. But I'll be around all week here on the pod. You know, we had a couple of signings over the weekend. Mike Clevenger, who I talked about maybe going to the Orioles, he ends up signing with the White Sox. But things, you know, Thanksgiving is in the past Maybe that means things start to heat up. Obviously, the winter meetings, they will be next week. That's when really moves will start. But maybe some things will trickle in this week. And if they do, I'll have it all covered here on the pod. If not, if the Orioles stay quiet for the week, I'll still be here every day. Kind of finishing off, recapping all of the Orioles player seasons with our player review series. And continuing to look at what the Orioles could do in terms of offseason moves this year. And I'll continue with those conversations coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then... I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.